The health of a body determines its ability to process natural food. That's a truth that we all understand, but we probably don't think about it too often. I was reminded of it the other day when a man came to the rectory to ask me to go and anoint his mother, an elderly woman in one of our local nursing homes whose physical health was deteriorating quite rapidly. He also came to ask me about what the Church teaches concerning end-of-life issues. For example, when is a person morally obligated to undergo a certain medical treatment and when is it morally permissible for the person to say no to that very same treatment? What's the difference between extraordinary and ordinary means of maintaining or restoring health? Are we morally obligated as Catholics to do everything that we can to stay alive in every situation, even if there's little or no reasonable expectation of recovery? barring, of course, some miracle. Those were some of the questions that I tried to address with this man during my conversation with him the other day, along with the very important topic of nutrition and hydration for the sick. This is a point that has been the cause of confusion for many good people, good Catholics, including some members of the clergy. And so back in 2007, the Catholic bishops of our country asked Rome to clarify the matter, to answer the question of whether or not feeding and giving water to a sick and dying person were considered extraordinary or ordinary means of care. And that is very important because we are only required to give ordinary means of care. Well, the Sacred Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith answered by saying that food and hydration are always to be considered ordinary means. Always. This means that it is never permissible to withdraw food and water from someone, even if those things have to be administered by artificial means, unless the dying person's body is shutting down and is no longer able to process them, which does happen when the person is very close to death. Now that's a crucial teaching for us to be clear about, because in all honesty, my brothers and sisters, I think there are some doctors who withdraw these things much too quickly these days, such that the person's death certificate should actually read that they died of malnutrition and dehydration and not whatever disease they happen to be dealing with. Let me read to you now what it says about this in our Diocesan End of Life Guidelines booklet. Here I quote, Food and fluids should always be provided until it is found that the organs can no longer assimilate them, a sign of the onset of natural death. Now, I share this with you this morning not to give you a full-blown teaching on end-of-life decision-making. That's a topic, perhaps, for another homily. But rather, to illustrate that point I made at the beginning of my homily, the health of a body determines its ability to process natural food. When our bodies are in good health, 
natural food has its proper effect. It nourishes us as human beings. It makes us strong. But when a person is seriously ill and very close to death, the bodily systems shut down. And natural food, even the very best natural food on the planet, has no positive effect whatsoever. Because the person is so seriously ill, their body can no longer process the nourishment, even if it's given artificially through a feeding tube. Not surprisingly, there is a spiritual parallel here, which relates directly to the Holy Eucharist. And today, as we heard, is Corpus Christi Sunday, the Feast of the Holy Eucharist. St. Paul reminds us of the reality of the Eucharist in today's second reading when he says, I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was handed over, took bread, and after he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body that is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. St. Paul makes it very clear there. The Eucharist is not a symbol. After the words of consecration spoken by the priest at Mass, the bread and wine become substantially the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord and Savior. That's the Catholic faith. That's what we're all supposed to believe. And yet, as we all know, people have very different experiences when they actually receive the Blessed Sacrament, do they not? For some, it's a deeply spiritual experience that strengthens them to live the gospel more faithfully out there in the world. But for other people, sad to say, it's an experience that means little or nothing. They are no better, no more loving, no more patient, no more forgiving, no more compassionate after they receive than they were before they received. And many people have an experience that's somewhere in the middle of those two extremes. So why the difference? Why the disparity? Why do some people experience such incredible blessings by receiving the Eucharist and others experience very few blessings or maybe even none at all? Well, I would say that the difference is this. What's true of the body is also true of the soul. Just as the health of a body determines its ability to process natural food, so too the health of a soul determines its ability to process spiritual food, i.e. the Holy Eucharist. A healthy soul is open. A healthy soul is receptive to the graces of Holy Communion. A sick soul is not. That means very simply, that the level of our spiritual health ultimately determines our ability to profit spiritually and even, I would say, physically and emotionally from our receiving the Holy Eucharist. For example, if we are in the state of mortal sin because we've missed Sunday Mass without a good reason or a Holy Day Mass for that matter, or because we've committed some serious sexual sin, or because we've committed some other serious offense, like harboring intense hatred of somebody else. For in the state of mortal sin, it profits us nothing 
to receive Holy Communion. In fact, by receiving the Eucharist, in that spiritual condition, we're actually committing another sin, the sin of sacrilege. That's why St. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11:28, a man should examine himself first. Only then should he eat of the bread and drink of the cup. St. Paul understood. But it even goes beyond this. The level of our spiritual health at the time we receive Holy Communion is also determined by the quality of our relationship with God. A relationship that we are supposed to nourish, that we are supposed to work on each and every day of our lives. It is likewise determined by whether or not we approach the altar with expectant faith, believing that Jesus really is present here and will give us the graces we need to be faithful to him in our lives. And it's determined by what we do after we receive. If we walk right out of church afterward, if we don't pray afterward and pray fervently, then we should not expect to receive many blessings through the Blessed Sacrament. To use a biblical expression, we will squander what we have received. Some of you will recall an acronym I shared a few years ago, which is meant to guide us in our prayer after Holy Communion. If you can remember this acronym and what each letter stands for, you'll always know how to pray after you receive Holy Communion. The acronyms should be easy to remember here in church. It's ALTER. The A in that word, ALTER, the first A, stands for ADORATION. First thing we should do after we receive Jesus in Holy Communion is adore Him, praise Him, worship Him from our hearts. Many Catholics perhaps are not comfortable with that. Well, you're doing it privately between you and the Lord. Praise Him. He's worthy of our praise. The L in altar stands for love. We should tell the Lord we love Him, if we do, and hopefully we do, and that we don't love Him enough. No one of us does. Should tell him we want to love him more. The T in altar stands for thanksgiving. We should then spend some time thanking the Lord for all he's done for us, for all he does for us each and every day. We have lots to thank him for. The second A in altar stands for ask, which unfortunately is the only thing some people do when they pray. But actually, asking should come only after we've adored the Lord and told Him we've loved, we love Him and want to love Him more and thanked Him. And that brings us to the final letter in the word altar, the R, which stands for resolution. Not revolution, but resolution. We should make a resolution, not just on New Year's Day, but every single time we come to Mass. A resolution to be better. A resolution to be different. A resolution to be more faithful to God in some way through the grace we've just received in the Holy Eucharist. Remember, just as the health of a body determines its ability to process natural food, so too the health of a soul determines its ability to process spiritual food, i.e. the Holy Eucharist. Today, therefore, my brothers and sisters, we should pray at this Mass for good health. 
Good health for ourselves, good health for one another, good physical health, yes. But even more importantly, good health for our souls, so that we will all be greatly blessed each and every time we receive the Holy Eucharist.